1: now
4: What up, folks? Welcome to Nino's Corner.TV. I got a very, very special guest today. Uh, This is a a subject that really, really intrigues me. His name is Tim Cohen, former Air Force Academy cadet. Um, Basically, folks, this man is going to convince us that King Charles III is the Antichrist, and I, I'm not going to debate with you on this. I don't know who the Antichrist is. I got a lot of people in the running. I got Elon Musk, Prince William, um, you know, uh, uh, Obama. I mean, I got a whole bunch of people in my mind floating around, but King Charles, uh, there's been a lot of things that have surrounded this man that I'm kind of like, okay, I'm taking a step back and looking at this now going, could he be the Antichrist? Uh Tim Cohen is the author of the books, The Antichrist and a Cup of Tea, edition one and two. Uh, And the book, North Korea and the the Coming World War, Behold the Red Horse, correct, Tim?
5: Yes, North Korea, Iran, and the Coming World War, Behold the Red Horse. And these
4: can be found at prophecyhouse.com. But first, folks, health with Nino, baby. Collagen is often referred to as our modern-day fountain of youth, and for good reason. Supplementing this powerful nutrient can bring back a youthful glow to our skin, hair, and nails. My favorite source of collagen comes from this amazing mix that I highly encourage my audience to try. It uses a unique blend of the top five critically most important types of collagen our body needs to help bring back the youthliness glow to our skin and nails. Order today and get a bundle of benefits by going to Health with Nino, folks, including 51% off, 51% off or clicking the more button below and using my link before the special offer ends. It's a big one, folks. Get your college in, start looking younger, start looking better for the summertime. All right, Tim, here we are. This is one of my most favorite subjects, man, because um, to me, all of this is, in my mind, 100% real. And I think we are now in the last days of this. What, what Do I say revelations, apocalypse? What, where are we right now in all of this? I think we're just years away, short years away, maybe two, three, five years max from seeing who the Antichrist truly is. Could I be
5: wrong in saying that? No, I think that's probably right, although I'll say we already know who he is. And by the time this program is over, you won't have those other people in your mind anymore as candidates, with I, one exception, know- who is an Antichrist. There are multiple Antichrists. Okay, so there are th-
4: multiple. You know. I've heard that, too. I've heard there's multiple of them, but there's one that's really
5: going to stand out. One who will be over a global government for three and a half years preceding Armageddon. That's Charles, who we'll be talking about and all the sharing evidence concerning him. But Barack Obama also has a role, it appears. Okay, yeah, so-, so... there are junior antichrist. Let's put it that way as
4: well. Wow. Okay, so I know that I think King Charles was... What what is the correct term I'm going to use here? What just happened? He was anointed, or what? What was he? Uh, um, he just took the throne six months, six weeks, and six days, or something after the queen's death, or what was it exactly? You might want to clarify on that. I could,
5: I probably just butchered the shit out of it, but can you clarify that? Well, no, actually, that timing is correct. It was six months, six weeks, and six days after from her, her death, death, or from her
4: birthday, or what was it? From her funeral. So six, six, six from her funeral, exactly. Yeah. I mean,
6: does it get
5: more obvious than that, I guess? We I mean, that's, the not the biblical, right <laughs> that's not the biblical way to do the calculation. I mean, here's another one for you. Uh, May 6th, 2023, right? Yeah. Five plus six plus two plus two plus three is 18. Three times six. Oh. Yeah, People have looked at all kinds of things on this, but there's a biblical way to do the calculation. Well, so I will show that also.
4: So, numbers is very important to these people. The, 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 like, new numerology
5: is how these people follow the, I guess, the program. Oh, yes. And you can see 666 and all kinds of things that these people at the top are doing. And it's on purpose. You know, there are bills numbered 666. They do all kinds of weird things because they're emphasizing that number subliminally to the populace. It's on purpose.
4: So let me ask you, Tim, how did you get started in this? Let's start there first. Let's, how did you get started in revealing the Antichrist? What, what, what piqued your interest in this? Uh, were, you always, were you a religious fellow? I mean, how, how, what started all this for you into researching who would be the Antichrist? And for how long have you known that King Charles is the Antichrist?
5: Yeah, so I was raised a secular Jew uh, when I was at the Air Force Academy. You know, when I entered, I told classmates I was an atheist. Really, I was agnostic, and I was too ignorant to know the difference between being agnostic versus atheist. But I called myself an atheist. I had no interest, zero, in scripture. And in fact, it was being partially raised in in a—one side of my family was New Age. You know, being introduced to the occult, actually, through them sort of piqued my interest when a classmate came up to me and said, hey— Would you like to go to a Bible study uh, with me this weekend? And I said, well, what's it about? And he said, prophecy. And I said, oh, I didn't know there was prophecy in the Bible. And because of that brief introduction, you know, that touching on the occult that I'd had, that piqued my interest. And so I went, and God saved me. It was a miraculous thing. There was no rationale to it. It was just God reached in, grabbed hold of my heart, and, and saved me. So you were a secular Jew?
4: I was. And now you're a Christian? Correct. Wow. That's that's profound, um, and so how old were you at that time?
5: Oh, this was uh,
4: November of nineteen eighty six that I wow. became a Christian. And he would had, you say uh, you've been you've been tracking this since then, or how long have you been tracking? Because your first book was early nineties, correct? Nineteen
5: ninety eight. This one, oh, nineteen ninety late nineties. He was published, yeah. But I started it in nineteen eighty seven. I was still at the academy. I had asked God after I had. You know, I read through a big chunk of the Old Testament and the entire New Testament a couple of times, two or three times, and then was rereading the book of Revelation, the Apocalypse, and got to this passage in Revelation 13 with the weird imagery, you know, with a beast with feet like a bear, body like a leopard, mouth like a lion, to whom a dragon gives his power, throne, and great authority. Well, I'm like you, I'm saying to the Lord, Okay, I believe you, I believe your word is literal. But what is this? This doesn't exist in nature so far as I know, right? So, what are you talking about here? What is this? And I thought, okay, could it be some sort of camera? You know, a lot of people would have thought that, right? You know, genetic engineering was still pretty, pretty primitive at that point, but it was in science fiction. So could it be some sort of camera? And I asked God to show me who and what was being spoken of in Revelation 13. So let's look at the passage for a moment. I'll share my screen mm-hmm. and let's just dive into a little bit and okay. I'll, I'll talk about what God showed me. Um, so I don't know if I'm sharing my screen. Am I, uh, it it's just, like it says zoom. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So let me go to, oh, I know what I'm looking for here. Um, all right. Are you seeing this? Cover yes. the book. Yep. All right. This is the second edition. The one people can order now. So I asked God to show me about that imagery and let's just uh, briefly here uh read the passage
6: All right so I was
5: here in Revelation 13 and this is the apostle John who penned the apocalypse Anyway, it goes on to describe a beast, which he saw, which was like a leopard, feet like the feet of a bear, mouth like the mouth of a lion, and then it says the dragon gave him his power, throne, and great authority. Right here, Revelation 13.2. And so I thought, okay, what in the world is that? And I asked God to show me, okay, Lord, who and what is being spoken of here in this passage? I mean, I was standing outside, outside my dorm that day, and uh, that weekend, I mean, within a month, Right after that, but very quickly, I was in the home of a Hebrew Christian pastor in Colorado Springs having a meal after a Shabbat service, you know, a church service. And he literally came up to me and he pulled out a name calculation on a piece of paper showing that Charles, Prince of Wales, works out to 666. And he said, well, this is the gematria or whatever it was, he said, the biblical numbering system. And then he pulled out a cover of a book. That he'd gotten at a library in Colorado Springs that had the unofficial version of Charles' heraldic achievement on it. Now that what I showed here a moment ago, this thing, that's the official version right there. He didn't have that. He had uh, what I call the most prominent unofficial version that was partially cropped, partially cut off on the cover of this book. And he said, here's the imagery. And I'm thinking, wow. So that day I went back to the academy and Began to thumb through, for the first time in my whole life, books on heraldry at the Cadet Library. They had a shelf of, you know, I don't know, a couple dozen books, I don't know exactly how many, on heraldry. And they had the one book in the world that had this in it, which is the official heraldic achievement, or coat of arms, of Charles, Prince of Wales. And you know, that's what he was until very recently. By the way, for those who want to know, this is still his coat of arms. It'll never change and it'll never go away. It's his forever, under international law. Even if he's not showing this to the public much right now, this is still his. It still represents him. So, on this, you know, you have feet like the feet of a bear, body like the body of a leopard, mouth like the mouth of a lion. And for those who may be um, wondering, let me just point out, let me go back to the scripture here. Sorry. All right Let me find it make <laughs> it harder myself. there we go, so here it says like, like and like in other words, these are similes. It's not actually the feet of a bear, it's not actually the body of a leopard, and it's not actually the mouth of a lion and words, when we see this thing, the proportions the appearance of it reminds us, if you will, of these things of these uh Attributes for this beast. And then it says the dragon gives him his power, throne, and great authority. And in context, that's the fiery red dragon of Revelation 12, the prior chapter, which is explicitly identified as Satan. Oh. The serpent had deceived Eve in the Garden of Eden. Yeah. So that dragon is also here. This is the actual dragon. Where's the dragon? It goes back to the standards of the Roman cohorts. that occupied oh, ancient there he is, down there at the bottom. Right there. Fiery red dragon. Mm. That was adopted in 1953 as a national symbol of Wales in wow. 1958. So Wales literally made Satan their national symbol. Wow. In 1958, Queen Elizabeth II then announced to the Welsh people that she would create Charles, Prince of Wales, which she made him in 1958. And then she said she would later, when he was a young man, present him to the people of Wales for a formal investiture and crowning, which happened in July 1969 as the Prince of Wales. And it was at that event that the world first saw this. This was on the order of service handed out to all the guests at the castle. It happened at Cairn Arvon Castle in Wales. It was also put on plates and saucers, you know, memorabilia sold at the investiture first time the world saw this. This was created by the Garter Herald King and the heralds of the College of Heraldry in London under international law. For So for those who might be wondering, well, could this have been contrived to make Charles look like that imagery in Revelation 13? The answer is no. He had nothing to do with it. Neither did the British monarchy. This was created under international law and international rules by the most powerful heralds in the world. And they take some symbols from the the mother's heraldic achievement or coat of arms, some from the father's. So Queen Elizabeth II and Prince Philip at the time, and then some unique symbols uh, for the individual to whom it's being granted, in this case, Charles. And uh, they combine them, and they make a unique coat of arms. This is the most artistic, the most occult, the most powerful in the occult realm, heraldic achievement ever created in the history of the world. There is nothing that compares
4: I, I notice there's a unicorn there with a crown on its neck and then chains around it. What does that
5: sign- signify? So the chain is officially called a restrainer in heraldry. And with it being bound to the base, what's called a compartment of this coat of arms, this heraldic achievement, Mm -hmm. the unicorn is considered restrained. This unicorn is unique because it has human eyes. It has a man's eyes, not the round eye of a horse. It's got a visible sclera here, eye white, with a V-shaped eye socket. And the unofficial version makes it even more obvious than this. That, that is the case. So, what's unique about this is there's another prophecy uh, in the book of Daniel, and that's Daniel chapter 7, about a little horn that has the eyes of a man. A little what? Little horn oh. that has the eyes of a man. Now, in the context of Daniel's day, that would have been understood as a unicorn with a man's eyes. In Babylonia, that's how they would have understood it, as a unicorn with the eyes of a man. And in this passage in Daniel, uh, it tells us that this little horn comes up among ten horns right here. Ten horns, Daniel 7.20 comes up among them, and before that little horn of the human eyes, three of them fall, or they're plucked up by the roots. So if we look up the word plucked, plucked out by the roots is how they're described, right? Mm -hmm. That imagery is also on the coat of arms. Mm. People probably didn't notice it, so here it is. So you'll notice around the necks of each of these beasts is this thing that looks like three horns, inverted. Yep. with a band. That's called the label of the eldest son in heraldry. It's around the neck of the red dragon, around the neck of the unicorn with eyes, a man's eyes, around the neck of the beast with feet like a bear body, like a leopard, mouth like lion. Around this one up here, which is actually a, a copy, a second version of this one here on the left. And then also, and this is the right in heraldry by the way, this is called the sinister beast from from the herald's perspective. This is the right hand side. It's looking at you in other words, you're not looking at it. Huh. And this is the uh, this is the sinister supporter. This is the Dexter supporter. This is the left hand side, so far as the heralds are concerned. Again, it's looking at you. You're not looking at it. But anyway, getting back to this, in the center of the overall coat of arms, the corporate heraldic achievement, if you will, is another big head, and this is the sovereign helm right here. That's what is called for the sovereign. Charles always had the sovereign helm, meaning they always expected him to be monarch one day. Elizabeth II, when she was princess, did not have this on her coat of arms. It was added for her when she became queen, you know, when she was about to become queen. Charles had it from the beginning. He always had it. So this is the sovereign helm. And right beneath it, notice what's here. The label of the eldest son, again, right beneath that helm. See it? Mm -hmm. Yes, I do. Over the royal shield? Okay. So everything you need to
4: know, really, is in this right here, what you're depicting to my audience is it's all here
5: but yeah this plain is the sight. actual imagery of scripture describing wow. this first beast that represents the antichrist so this helm has seven bars across it if you count them there are seven they're mm-hmm. shaped like elephant's tusks if you will a horn biblically is shaped either like an elephant's tusk conical like you see on top of the unicorn or like a chemistry flask what you see in this label of the eldest son these three horns that are Inverted, as if plucked up by the roots. So this is the corporate head of the overall heraldic achievement or cut of arms. You'll notice there are ten horns, three of which are plucked up by the roots. The label of the eldest son are the three plucked up by the roots. And here's the other seven in the helm. And then the little horn of the eyes of a man comes up among them. Right here. The unicorn of human eyes. And if you go back to this imagery in Revelation 13 in the prophecy again, we just back out of this for a minute back to Revelation 13, and you look at how many crowns there are. So there are 10 heads. Each of those head, all, each of those 10 rulers that we wrote about in Daniel is, is a ruler, like a crown, if you will, a ruler of some sort. But then in another place it says... Seven crowns. So one place is ten heads and seven crowns. Another is seven heads and ten horns or ten crowns. If we look up seven crowns. Uh, okay, maybe it's actually in Daniel. Maybe I needed to stay where I was. Let's see here. Let's go back to Daniel 7. Crowns.
6: Let's see seven.
5: Hmm. Okay. Well, I'm not finding it. I'll have to look that up later. In fact, maybe I'll have to pull up the book to see where the verse is. Anyway, I have a better translation of the verse in my book from the Greek. So there are actually seven crowns per the Greek. And when we look at what's on the coat of arms itself, right here, you can count the visible crowns, and there are seven. So one here, one here, the third one up here, a fourth one down here, Uh a fifth one, a sixth one, and then the seventh one right here. So you get four right here. one, two, three, four, five, six and seven. Mm. You've got ten lion, leopard, bear, beasts in the center that represent the ten kings or rulers, because the shield of whales, which is what this thing in the center is. And these are actually lion, leopard, bears. They actually all have bear's claws, which you can't see in this, because the resolution isn't good enough. But in higher resolution versions of just the flag of whales, which is what this comes from, the shield of whales is similar, but shaped as a shield instead of rectangular. And then this is the royal shield for England or the United Kingdom, right here in the center with the six. They actually have five uh, claws per foot, and they are bear's claws in the case of this heraldic achievement. So there are ten rulers, in other words, portrayed beneath Charles as this beast. And this is where I was going with this label of the eldest son here. Mm-hmm each beast that has this around its neck explicitly represents Charles himself. So the corporate coat of arms, the corporate beast, if you will, also explicitly represents him because of this label at the base of its neck. Right here. So it's like a living occult entity so far as, you know, the heralds are concerned. Right. But when Charles is quoted in another biography of his... And this this has a lot of biographical information in it. It's not really a biography, my book. But he says, my father you know, did this. My father did that. He, him. And what's so interesting here, and I've never shared this publicly before, I'm going to tell you this. There was a frame of one of the several cameras taking footage of the event, live footage, that had an, a, a lightning-like X in it that went between... The, the red dragon on the backrest of Elizabeth II's throne, from which she stood up, through her and then through Charles' head. And then it was X-shaped, and then it went across through Philip's head. At the moment, she put the crown on Charles' head. Wow. That was captured on film. And I'm actually going to show the frame, and it's a series oh, of frames. It's very short segment in the second edition of the book i call it x lightning for lack of a better term okay okay but it was a very weird thing and i thought gee did something supernatural here because happened here because who in the world would be in their right mind would go back and scratch an X, you know that looks like a brush stroke almost in that way in a few frames of film footage who would do that right Mm
6: -hmm.
5: so and it can't be just it's not possible for it to be regular damage, because then the whole frame would be scraped up and scratched. Either somebody intentionally did that to multiple frames at that moment, or it was something that was captured by that camera on film. I and think you have that to show us? Um, no, not right here, okay. but it is in the book. It's in the second edition. Maybe I can show that in a future interview. It is pretty stunning, and uh, happens at the start of the Great Tribulation, and one of the things that transpires... According to the prophecy is that one of the heads, plural heads, multiple heads of this beast receives a fatal wound and recovers from it in a way that the world starts to worship the Antichrist, to follow after the Antichrist and worship him. So maybe you'll uh, notice there are an assassination attempt or something like that, you think, or presumably, yes, but you'll notice there are multiple heads on this corporate beast, right? But people have always associated that wound with the Antichrist. So how do you reckon that to a man, right? Receiving a mortal wound when the beast that represents the man has multiple heads. Well, here it is. You know, there are multiple beasts on this heraldic achievement that all represent Charles. The red dragon, the little horn of the eyes of a man, the beast of feet like a bear, body like a leopard, mouth like a lion, the overall heraldic achievement with the ten horns, three plucked up by the roots, right? The little horn with the eyes of man coming up among it. It all represents Charles. And right here at the base, this is called the badge of the Black Prince, this, this badge with the three ostrich feathers, mm-hmm. and the ikdien phrase here. The ikdien means I serve. That's the translation. People have argued whether it means your man or I serve. Charles says it means I serve. This badge was originally granted to Edward the Black Prince, who was the founding Prince of Wales of the Order of the Garter in 1348. This belt around the royal shield that you see here is the garter of the order of the garter. It says, shame be to him who thinks ill of it, or evil be to him who thinks ill of it. It's lined with two rows of 169 gold buckles each, one for the Prince of Wales of the day, the other for the British monarch, the sovereign of the day. It represents each of them as a which king of which kings or which queen of which queens. That's what it means. Mm. Edward received, he was the founding Prince of Wales. He wasn't black, but he was called the Black Prince because he dressed all in black and he was supposedly a feared military commander throughout Europe at the time. But this is his badge. Charles wears this as a gold signet ring on a pinky finger. He's worn it since, well, every photo from Diana on, you can see it from before he married Diana until this day. He's worn it on his finger and it is this badge of the Black Prince. He is the Black Prince today. And what it reads is, I, the Black Prince, serve the devil. Serve (laughs) Satan. And this shield in between Icdian at the base of the relic beneath the two compartments is the shield of the Black Prince. And these are Crusader coins on it. I was going to ask what that is. I thought it was grapes or something like that. Those Those are coins. Okay. Yeah, they represent Crusader coins from the Crusades because The Crusader, whoever was the leader of the Crusades who captured Jerusalem at the time, was called King of Jerusalem. And that's a title Charles now claims for himself. He was crowned King of Israel uh, three days ago. The public doesn't realize that. The British monarchy claims to sit upon the throne of David. That's an official claim that they make. Queen Elizabeth II's official lineage shows that claim on it. She was crowned Queen of Thy People Israel, quote-unquote, Charles now claims to be king of Israel, and the public didn't hear that on May 6th. That was hidden from the public, but it's all portrayed here. So it says, I, the black prince, or the prince of darkness, or the black one, serve the devil. So coming back to when Satan possesses him, the unofficial version that's inside the book, which is the most prominent one, has the chain loosed. So the red dragon you'll see here is not touching this compartment at all. Mm -hmm. And this is meant to be a prophetic form of occult artwork by those who created it. It's prophetic. So on this one, you notice the unicorn is graceful. It's majestic looking even, right? Mm -hmm. The official one. And it's bound. It's restrained. In the official heraldic achievement, uh, the red dragon is not touching the compartment. It's just sitting there, right? Looking at whatever. In this other one, it reaches up at multiple points and touches the compartment with its wingtips, with its leg right here with its tail, with a barb on the end of its tail. At that point, the unicorn rears back, takes on a very deathly appearance, very austere, very deathly, demonic appearance. The chain is loosed as well. And the hoof of the unicorn here is lifted off of the compartment. And these are boar hooves, boar's hooves, on the unicorn.
4: Okay.
5: So all of that is foretold in Scripture. The loosing of the restrainer is in 2 Thessalonians 2. The lifting of the hoof is in a prophecy that was quoted of Judas's carryout. There are two sons of perdition or sons of destruction in Scripture. One is Judas, and it was quoted of him later in the New Testament. He's lifted his heel against the Lord, right? Against me, against the Lord. That's a prophecy that was quoted in the New Testament of Judas. And so they had to replace him and come up with a new apostle to replace Judas, a new disciple. And in the context of that, they cited that prophecy of Judas. Well, they quoted the Old Testament there, and in the Old Testament, it actually says, he's lifted his hoof against me. The other son of perdition in Scripture, so Judas betrayed Israel, right? Or excuse me, betrayed Christ right before he was crucified? Right. The Antichrist betrays Israel and the church right before Israel as a nation is nationally crucified. And that's what the Great Tribulation actually is. And a lot of Christians have yet to understand that, but that's really what it is. And a national crucifixion of the nation of Israel, if you will. And in the context of that, which happens at the midpoint of the Tribulation Week or the start of the Great Tribulation, like Judas betrayed Christ at the midpoint of the Crucifixion Week, right before the Crucifixion, which actually happened on a Wednesday, Not a Thursday or a Friday, it was the fourth day of the week that Christ was crucified. It was the end of the week, the end of the Sabbath, the end of the seventh day that he rose from the grave. And then his disciples saw him the next morning, early on the first day of the week. But the Antichrist goes to betray Israel and the church right before the start of the Great Tribulation, or at the midpoint of what's called the Tribulation Week, or that 70th period of seven years. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, that Christians call sometimes the tribulation of the tribulation period. So Satan will possess Charles at the midpoint of the tribulation week, the start of the great tribulation, probably at the same time that Charles receives the fatal wound and recovers from that. And if we go back to the scripture here, to the prophecy, um, da-dum, here in Revelation 13, We have the world following after Charles, and maybe actually it's in... Sorry, I keep doing that. Let's go to Revelation 12. Let's see here. Okay. So the period in which the dragon has his power and is persecuting Israel is a time times and half a time, which is understood as three and a half years from the prior chapter Revelation 11. Which identifies it as forty-two months or twelve hundred and sixty days. And in Daniel chapter seven, where we've been looking at that little horn in the eyes of a man, we have that same period of times, time, time, time times, and a half of time mentioned here, or the little horn with the eyes of a man, same period in which he rules. So in other words, you get part of the, you get the, the period of the rain described in the Old and New Testament both, and you get some of the symbols described in Revelation and other portions described in Daniel and elsewhere in the Old Testament. And I show uh, in the Antichrist and the Kapiti, that all of the symbols that you see on here, every one of them, basically, down to the ostrich feathers themselves, the harp, all of it, is described in Scripture. Mm. So what this represents is the coronations of the United Kingdom, but it also represents the offspring historically. So, for example, these these lions, they're normally called the lions of England or lion leopards of England, these ten here in the center. Six of them would be for England, four for Wales. But they're lion leopard bears in the case of Charles, but they represent the historic offspring, if you will, of the United Kingdom. So we could talk about the United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, you know, those nations. But you could more broadly extend that to represent the Commonwealth in a generic sense, the British Commonwealth which is about a third of the world's population today, in a generic sense. But the bottom line is, the imagery is all here. And so coming back to the prophecy, here's the thing that clinches biblically uh, the identity of the Antichrist. In verse 18 of Revelation 13, it says, Here is wisdom, let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast... For it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Lots of people have tried to do this calculation for different individuals, right? Mm -hmm. And they've usually invented a system or contrived things or tampered with the name, you know, or even made up a fake name to try to show that so-and-so is 666. There are multiple problems with that. The first one is that it says calculate the number of the beast. So before it is even the number of the Antichrist himself, It's the number of that beast, this imagery that we were reading about. Beasts that feet like a bear, body like a leopard, mouth like a lion, etc. The person for whom we want to do the calculation has to have the imagery, or the calculation has no meaning. In other words, the required context for doing the calculation is the presence of that imagery. Charles is the only person in the whole history of the world to have it. Wow! His own sons have their own heraldic achievements. They do not have the Red Dragon. They have normal lions or lion leopards for England. They have normal unicorns, officially, though they are portrayed with human eyes. That eliminates William Harry, right? Yeah, the lack of the imagery right off the bat eliminates them. You know, they have normal heraldic achievements for British coats of arms, British royal coats of arms. They don't have these key pieces that Charles has. And they never will. So that's the first problem with looking at somebody like William. But a bigger problem for most people is they don't have any of the imagery at all. They don't have this imagery of the first beast that's described in Revelation 13, let alone that little horn with, you know, a man's eyes in Daniel 7. Of course, Charles has both. But when we go further with this, it says then it's the number of a man. You know, it's the number of his name. So, and elsewhere it says it's the number of a man also. But the point is the imagery has to be present. Then when it is, when we've identified somebody who's got it, we can do the calculation. We're authorized biblically, we have the authority, scripturally to do it, and we're told somebody will do it for the real Antichrist. So the people who are out there saying, we can't know who the Antichrist is in advance, we can't know who he is now, this verse makes you a liar or yeah. ignorant, one or the other. This verse, Revelation 13, verse 18, still explicitly indicates that in fact sorry this verse <laughs> highlighted the wrong thing explicitly indicates that we can know you know in advance and it's not connected to the restrainer in this passage. I want to point that out there is talk about a restrainer in second Thessalonians chapter 2, which speaks to the general revelation of the Antichrist to the world to mankind in general as it were. That's not what we're talking about here. This is a specific, special revelation to God's saints in the last days. That's what this verse is about. So when we look at the calculation itself, I'll show it to you. But let me just say one thing here. The number 666
6: mm-hmm.
5: is not written in the form of Greek words. You know, this is translated into English.
4: Right. It's like, instead- three, it's like it's like the three lines, right? Isn't it? The 666, like, like, uh, like J's
5: or something like that. I, I don't know. I could... Well, one character looks a bit like an X. Right, sort okay. Of.
6: okay.
5: Uh, but it's three Greek letters, one for 600. That's the one that looks a bit like an X, one for 60, and one for six. Three Greek letters. Do you have those numbers in the New Testament? I can pull it up, actually. We can look yeah, at it. Please live, do. So I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that in a moment. But, but let me just say there are some corrupt manuscripts. They're the minority, not the majority, that that write this out in words. Okay. The non-corrupt ones, and I'm not saying they're corrupt everywhere, they're corrupt for this verse. Uh, there are just a couple of numbers in the New Testament that I know about. Two in the book of Revelation that are not written in the form of Greek words. The rest are given in the form of Greek words. One is this number 666, and the other is 144 for the 144,000 Israelites who are to be sealed. I haven't figured out yet why, you know, the Lord chose to specify 144 that way. For the 144,000, I'm not sure why that was done, but I do know why it was done here, and that's to identify for us the system on which to do the calculation. It might have been done for the 144 just to emphasize the system. I don't know. May I ask, what's the significance again of the 144? 144, 144,000 male Israelites who are believers in Yeshua and Jesus, like me, Mm -hmm. are going to be sealed to be protected against certain things that are going to happen in the world uh, by the Lord. You know, he'll send an angel, presumably, to seal them, but they'll be sealed for a portion of the events during the Great Tribulation and protected by virtue of that seal. Oh, wow. And that doesn't mean that there won't perhaps be others, you know, who are females. It's only the males who are counted and mentioned. But these are believing Israelites, so not the rest of the church, just them. and so anyway, the 666 here is given as those three Greek letters. So let's look at the calculation itself. And if I go the wrong way here, I often do <laughs> with these arrows. But okay, I went the right direction, so we can all be happy there. All right, so this is a page from the first edition of the Antichrist and Kapti published in 1998. So here you have the Greek alphabet, the Greek letters, and the two cases right here, I'll it so you can see that a little better. There's the Greek on the right-hand side. The Hebrew right here, and this is not like upper and lower case in Hebrew. These are final forms of the same letter. Okay. So this is a final mem, for example, and then a mem that you'd see at the beginning or middle of a word. This is the the form of it at the end of a word when it's at the end of a word. So Hebrew, you've got a few a few final characters, but they are the same character as far as Hebrew is concerned, pronounced the same way, and so forth. So that's the Hebrew, and then you have the English. So you'll notice it's a sequential system; it's not phonetic. The numbers were assigned sequentially to the Greek. Historically, they were transferred from Hebrew to Greek and expanded to include 500 through 900. That was done before the book of Revelation was ever written.
6: Okay.
5: That was written in, in you know before Christ, BC time frame. Okay. So the Greek version of the system is what's used to specify 666 in the underlying Greek text. So there's this letter right here that I'm circling for 600. Okay. okay right here. And then for 60, there is this one right here that I'm circling. Okay. And for six, this one right here in the Greek text. So I'll pull up the Greek text in a minute. But because it was transferred sequentially from Greek historically, that's a precedent for us to transfer it sequentially, not phonetically, to any language, you know, to which it can be transferred. There are a few languages, you know, like Asian languages that have thousands of characters to where there's no rational way to transfer it, right? But to a language like English, you can transfer it sequentially. So that's what we've done here. And then we can use the original Hebrew system without the expansion. No no change at all. Okay. The title, Charles, Prince of Wales, in English and Hebrew, both languages, calculates to precisely 666 on a single language that's statistically close to impossible. In the In the history of the universe that macroevolutionists claim, you know, 13 to 15 billion years, that's statistically close to impossible. You know, and of course, the universe is actually only thousands of years old. But that being said, when you add a second language in here, and it's 666, the exact same title, no tampering. And let me show the Hebrew name here for Hebrew, for Charles. This is the Hebrew right here. It's Nasik Charles of Wales. That's the way it's given in the modern Israeli press. The exact title, both languages, same title. Prince Charles of Wales, both languages. Totally different combination of numbers, but on the same original system, transferred sequentially or not transferred. That title is 666. At that point, just the math alone, you are in the realm of impossibility that can't be faked. Supercomputers today could not fake that. So even today, you can't fake that. The, and so that being said, when you combine that with the imagery, oh, sorry, I can go back to the imagery here. And by the way, here's another way of looking at the same calculation. Prince Charles of Wales, Naseek Charles of Wales, you can see completely different combinations of numbers. Yeah. But again, adding up to the same thing, 666 in both cases. So okay. Tim, what,
4: you know, I understand <clears throat> I, I get it, okay? I'm not debating you on this at all. But what are we going to see in the coming years that proves that he is the antichrist? What
5: kind of what kind of revelations are we going to have where we're like, "Ah, this is the guy." You don't need anything more. What you've just seen is the only proof any Christian should need. Okay. What you're looking at is impossible. But it's factual reality. Now there is a vast amount of additional proof, so I'll outline some of that here in a minute. That's that's in the book. I, I guess proof.
4: what I'm saying: what actions is he going to yeah. take? What things are we going to see
5: that? Well, show let's us... talk about what we just saw. Okay, you know, i have talking. I've talked a little bit about what happened at his crowning, you know, as Prince of Wales in July 1969. He has been the number one globalist on the planet since July 1969, running the world, even without a global government. All the things that are happening in the world today that are affecting people negatively have been done under Charles. I don't think there's even one exception to that, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that. So the whole Great Reset is under Charles. People look to Klaus Schwab, for example, but it was Charles who announced the Great Reset. From Klaus the world Schwab Economics. is
4: just his minion.
5: Klaus Schwab is the head of the World Economic Forum. He founded it in 1970 or 1971, whichever it was, right after Charles as Prince of Wales. But, when we talk about what just happened at his crowning, he took a ceremony that, for you know over eleven hundred years, ostensibly was a strictly Christian ceremony. If you set aside all the opulence and things like that that many Christians would have a problem, you know viewing and not like similar to what you see in Roman Catholicism. If you set all that aside and you just look at the words and what was read and said in the normal ceremony. That was a very Christian, strictly Christian ceremony. Charles eviscerated the thing, you know, all at once. He made it a multi-faith, multi-religious thing. He had, uh, and not in this order, but a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Sikh, a Hindu, a non-believing Jew, druids. Uh, I know I'm forgetting When Zoroastrian. Participate in the event. In some cases, read at the event. Like the Prime Minister of the UK read a passage from Scripture, actually, rather than something else. He read a great passage from Scripture, but he was a Hindu, a non-Christian reading it. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, he had the world take a Pledge of Allegiance to him. Mm. I don't know if you saw that, but that actually happened. They talked about it happening beforehand, and he actually did it. Supposedly, the Archbishop of Canterbury put him up to that. We don't know for sure if that's true, but that's the claim. But Charles did that. He asked the whole British Commonwealth and the whole world, everyone willing to actually pledge allegiance to him. That is outright satanic and demonic, and that's the kind of thing that would be done in witchcraft. That was an effort to speak something into existence that doesn't exist yet. Then, in addition to that, he um, took the normal canopy that would have been over him, which is like a, a chuppah in a Jewish wedding, really. Mm-hmm. That's the actual historic deriv- derivation for it. And his mother had the canopy over her, you know, which was over her when she was anointed with oil. He took that and he replaced it with a screen that was a counterfeit tree of life that had leaves with the names of the British Commonwealth's nations, the 56 nations on it, and a serpent-like banner at the base. And his his um, cipher as King Charles Rex, or King Charles, at the base of it, at the base of that tree, like a fake tree of life. And behind that, he was supposedly anointed, And the flask that was used to hold the anointing oil, they called it an eagle because nobody really knew what it was. I know what it is. It was a phoenix. It was not an eagle. It it was like a risen phoenix. Not a dove, not an eagle, contrary to claims. And it it held the anointing oil. So another unique thing for Charles is he was anointed with oil from Jerusalem, produced in Jerusalem, from olives grown on the Mount of Olives. While he was sitting on a throne that he claims to be in the monarchy, claims to be the current throne of David. In other words, he was crowned and anointed king of Jerusalem, king of Israel, uh, and the public, a lot of the public, missed that symbolism. But it's explicitly stated by the British monarchy. So in Israel, there'll now be people looking more more frequently at Charles potentially as the Messiah, and the word Messiah means anointed. That's what it means. And he had other things, a lot of pagan symbolism. You know, you mentioned the Grim Raper that people noticed passing. Yeah, I was there.
4: just going to ask you about that. That's the yeah. image that I saw. I didn't know if it was superimposed, photoshopped, or what.
5: I only just saw the well, image. That's exactly what I thought initially, that this had to be fake, right? You have the image? Somebody, somebody faked this, right? But I found a larger frame that showed the coronation thrones. You know, the chairs that had Charles Heraldic Achievement on the front and back of the backrest and Camilla's Heraldic Achievement, or her coat of arms, on the front and back of the backrest in the same frame with the Grim Reaper in the background. So, and I didn't see any evidence of tampering. You know, I looked at the shadows and everything else. I examined it, actually. Do you have that photo? Can we look at it? Um, Maybe I can see it. it. I want to show everyone this. Okay, I'll see if I can find it. It might take me just a moment. To, yeah, take your time.
4: I'm very intrigued, it. and this is something that I think needs to be shown too. Because, I mean, but we could. <laughs> I want to say that it could be someone dressed up as this, correct? I mean, uh, yeah, regardless, well, regardless, it means something. I mean, it means. I'll, I'll tell evil. you. Yeah, I'll actually tell you um, what it means. Is there a video of this Grim Reaper walking around or, or is it just the I still- haven't
5: I have not found the video clip. It supposedly is a still from a video, and I haven't found that particular video yet. And, and like I said, I don't think it's faked
4: there's a lot of people it's been proven it's debunked there is no i have not seen any proof that it's been debunked first of all and a lot of people will just come out and say oh it's debunked it's debunked without any proof of saying or without any without showing how it was debunked so this is yeah here we go i'm
5: not sure if i saved it in here i'm just going to look for a moment in case i did it's one that i may not have you know saved off yet um this is the phoenix I was talking about that held the oil. You yeah, can killed.
4: show it if you want to. You, you want to. There
5: you go. Huh. So the oil was in this from Jerusalem, which they poured over Charles' head behind that screen. Jeez. That's not a dove. Right. It's not even an eagle with a neck like that. Uh, And these are not an eagle's wings in terms of proportions or anything else. The tail looks a bit like an eagle, potentially. But that is a phoenix, as if risen from the grave. Yeah, like the the phoenix mythology of ancient Egypt, that kind of thing. That's what that is. So, let's see. All right, let me see if I can find this thing. And you know what? I know a quicker way, maybe, to try to find it. So bear with me here, I'll see if somehow. Because I do know that I saved it to document it. Um, Can you tell me um, what
4: Prince William or Harry's role would be in all this? Um, I guess, do they have a role in any of this at all?
5: uh, Harry was sidelined. And in general, you know, ignored. Okay. And William had a role. William actually put a sash, and I forget the formal description of that sash, over Charles' shoulders. Uh, so William during, was there? Yeah, and in fact, he kissed Charles' cheek and pledged allegiance to him, fealty to him, for life. So William had a role to play as the Prince of Wales. You know, Charles created him as the new Prince of Wales. So again, just to emphasize, he was. And so, so Harry miniature. wasn't there. Harry was, did not attend this? He did attend, but he was, I mean, to give you how, an idea of how he was snubbed, Princess Anne, his uh, aunt, uh-huh. had a large feather on her cap. She sat in front of him. She did that on purpose to obscure his view of what was happening in the proceeding why are they sidelining? right in front of his face
4: why are Um, they sidelining him
5: because of the book he wrote spare which was greatly insulting to charles and the monarchy okay and something that greatly upset them So could Harry
4: potentially be a good guy, I mean, in all this, or is he evil no matter what, just by being part of this family?
5: Well, I don't want to say he's evil. He's a non Christian, you know, like like we were before okay. we became believers, right? Right. He's he he's not somebody who biblically who is a biblical Christian from anything that I have okay. ever seen about him same thing with way
4: i thought also uh him marrying that girl that was half black was like a big slap in the face of the monarchy as well was that is that true any truth to that
5: you know you know how our woke our woke uh culture is today anti-white racism yeah yeah people call all kinds of things racist that aren't right um uh, harry and his wife megan have given the world the impression that they're highly woke. And so to them, a lot of things are, you know, racism mm-hmm. against her. Right. That being said, there is, you know, a reason to think that the British monarchy is engaged in a certain amount of racism, even under Charles. Okay. So a lot of people would say Charles doesn't have a racist bone in his body. You know, same thing with the queen, his mother who passed. So yeah there is the view that Megan was snubbed by people in the royal household due to being mulatto or you know of mixed race right and that I think is from what I've read and heard kind of where things went downhill got you with the rest of the family uh-huh. uh things got poisoned between them, yeah, and so what I'm gonna do here because I don't want to take forever trying to find this It's okay for the audience is we're going to find it online. If you don't mind, that's totally fine. Yeah. However, yeah. See if I can quickly locate it or not based upon there. It
4: is right there, right there. The first, yep.
5: Yeah, it's there. I would like to find the one that actually shows the chairs in it. Um, Because somebody had a lot. So
4: why would they show this? Why would they show this grim reaper presence and allow it to be seen all over the internet just to let people know?
5: Well, it would have been aired live. It's not like they could, I mean, not easily anyway, like they could just stop. I think that was a video right there. Well, I can, I can try to play it and see, that would be really interesting to see it live. Go ahead. Uh, So what's missing here, though, I want to point out in front of this that's cut off right here are the throwing chairs. And that's what I wanted to see originally to see whether there was indication that this thing might not have actually been, you know, faked. And okay, so that one's not coming up for me. One of these uh, that I found had... A larger frame. Let's see here. Not that one. Let's try this. I don't know. We can come and look at that video to see if maybe it... Okay, I don't know why these aren't loading. Okay. I don't know. Let's see if the video shows anything that you were noticing up here.
6: Wow. Oh. Jeez. That's creepy.
1: Order now fighterflare.com
5: com. Okay. So for me, the problem with that clip, what I don't like about that clip is it doesn't show the chairs in the front in okay. that clip. So I wanted to see a frame, an image that actually shows Those chairs. Yeah, let's see. Let's just, I'll just bring up the other ones I couldn't find here. And I did, you know, find that image, but I don't know what I've done with it. But this is the one most people saw. Anyway, the throne chairs, I did find those in an image suggesting to me that, okay, well, this is the image right here. I guess I should have gone right there. You can see them right here. Yep. What is the significance of those throwing those chairs? Well, the significance is that there are lots of events, you know, at Westminster Abbey, which is where this transpired. So this could have been some past event, in other words. Does that make sense? Yes. Because it's not obvious from these things alone that this is Charles' coronation. But with these chairs here, it can't be anything except his coronation.
6: mm
4: that's
5: why I wanted to see them. Yeah. So what
4: What do you think the significance of having the Grim Reaper, the death of the world, the death of the? Well, I mean, what does it mean? What does that okay, little so, bit mean right there? That he just he rushes
5: across the doorway like that. What does that mean? I'll say three things. One is this is druidic imagery. This is probably a druid, okay, in a robe, most likely. the The outfits that Camilla and eight, and some other royals wore, like the Duchess of Kent. Mm -hmm. You know, normally at a coronation, they'd have had just the garb of the day, you know, like a nice dress or something like that, you know, despite the fact that they were royalty. They all wore white dresses that more so resembled robes, actually, Mm -hmm. which was strange. Because if you go back in history and you look at photos of coronations of British monarchs, it's not what you see. Ever. So those were very much like druidic robes, but they were dresses. But they somewhat resembled druidic robes on all of these women who were participating in the crowning, in the coronation. That was weird. And then the stone at the base of the throne, and I can show that actually. These are other coronation chairs. So this is uh, Camilla's cypher and charles cypher on the back this is the throne though where he was anointed with oil and the screen was put around this and this is edward's throne it goes back several hundred years Hmm. and in the base of this throne is a stone that they call the stone of scone they allege they claim that it's the the stone that jacob used to rest his head on when he had the vision of the angels ascending and descending on the ladder you know thousands of years ago wow I see it. It looks like a
4: little like cement it looks like a cement block in there.
5: Well, yeah, it's actually quarried from somewhere in Scotland it appears, historically, based on the chemical makeup of the stone. They've determined that, so it's it's almost certainly a fraud. But the monarchy has used it for, you know, many centuries. And they coronate the king over it, and it's like a symbol of authority, like being king of Israel kind of thing. And the point is though. That this stone can also be viewed as what's called a logan stone in druidry, atop which the the high priest or the head druid, if you will, the arch druid, would stand or use it for sacrifices or all kinds of things. Historically, they're satanists. Druids, real druids, are satanists by any other name. And so, this can be viewed as a druidic element as well. You know, an occult element. And that's why I'm showing it. But um, at any rate, these things here were adjacent to those two thrones that we saw with the Grim Reaper, if you will, in the background. Now, the significance is that that associates Charles with death at this event, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than life. Well, there's a very biblical significance to that for him as the Antichrist. And we saw the name calculation, right? Right. A minute ago, I'll show you the Greek though, because I said I would do that. I'll pull that up in a minute after I show you, um, another passage of scripture. So if we go to Revelation chapter six, the fourth horseman, his name is Death. And Hades, oh, hell, follows with him.
6: Wow.
5: The same thing is said of Satan at the end of the apocalypse, when the last enemy, death, is cast into the lake of fire permanently forever at the end of the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. Satan is identified, you know, when he's when he's cast down into hell, it's death that's cast into hell that goes away. The reason this writer's name is Death is because he is Satan. And if we go to 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 15. Let's see here. We see a description of this also in this chapter. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? Yeah, and the last enemy that's going to be destroyed is death, but the sting of the law, you know, or of, of sin is death, you know. We know of sin because of the law, right? the law of God, but Satan here is referred to as death. And in the apocalypse, the Antichrist himself, the fourth horseman, is identified as death. That's one thing that tells us he's going to be possessed by the devil. It's implied, in other words, by the language of the verse. But there's something else here. The horse that he rides in both most, most uh, English translations is translated as pale or ashen. Sometimes is gray. The meaning of the Greek text here is pale green gray. And it's actually the color of rotting human flesh. It's the color of death, like you'd see on a corpse in a morgue. You know, of a white person. Yeah. You know, ostensibly, or someone soaked in water. Yeah, you know, is their corpses rotting? Pale green gray is the actual coloration here. I pointed out for a very specific reason. And that is that the unicorn on Charles Heraldic Achievement, which has a horse's body. This is the first edition of the book. It's the same coat of arms, so don't get thrown by the colors. Okay. Is actually pale green gray. Look at the color of the unicorn. Right. It's the color of rotting human flesh. It's the precise coloration, in fact, of that fourth horseman's horse. Charles is the fourth horseman. This unicorn is going to be possessed by the devil. It represents him being possessed, right? Because of the label of the eldest son around its neck. This color combination, the reason you can see the green hue here, Mm -hmm. is because it's printed in, well, not printed, but displayed here. And red, green, blue, RGB, that color spectrum, which is what we see on most computer monitors, for example. You know, the earlier ones today, they have an even broader color spectrum than that. But this is an RGB color spectrum. So you can see the green hue. It's not cut out. And you can see how red the dragon really is. Yeah. Right? And so forth. The colors really pop. When we go back to a printed color combination. Well, pardon me. You get to see me when I was younger and handsome. Okay. All right. So here you don't see the green hue very much. And the reason is because this is a CMYK color combination a different color combination for printing the exact same image. So here you don't see quite as much red in the fiery red dragon. The green hue gets cropped or cut out, basically. And so this is the color of the book. You know, when you see it printed on the cover of the book, it'll probably look like this. You won't see the green hue. But in reality, it has that green hue. It's the color of rotting human flesh. In other words, Charles himself... Is the fourth horseman of the apocalypse. And when he's possessed by the devil, his name will be death. Spiritually. Wow. And like I said, every detail of this is described in scripture. All of it. And and you can get a better so you're understanding look no religion. further
4: than the coat of arms, right? it. Look no Well, further.
5: and the name calculation. You gotta have both. But it's a combination that that makes it so that nobody else ever in the history of the world ever can be the antichrist. Charles is the guy; he's it. And here's something else that happened after. Sorry, I always go the wrong direction. I'm, someday I'll figure that out. But uh, and by the way, this is the cover of North Korea Iran, and in the coming world war. And the is- other symbols, the other symbols are all real. So the fiery red horse of the second horseman of the apocalypse which we didn't read, exists. It's called Kanamar Kolima in Asian mythology. It's a fiery red horse able to leap great bounds in a single distance, or great distances in a single bound, I mean to say. And they portray it with wings as a Pegasus, simply because it's able to leap these huge distances. It's the official symbol of North Korea. It's on their currency. It's overlooking downtown Pyongyang, the capital of their country. We had the Red Horse Brigades, Rapid Engineering Deployment, yada yada, it's an acronym, facing off against North Korea in the Korean War. Because we understood Red Horse was their national symbol. But mm. but we also have it associated with Exxon Mobil. Mobil Oil Corporation came yeah, from Magnolia yeah. Oil, you know, the gas pumps. Yep. It's the same horse out of wow. asian mythology so it has a component if you will in north korea and another component here in the united states but the point is that's the second horse they all literally exist and i identify them in my writings in my books including a book that's coming on the first and third horsemen yeah the the second one is right here it's identified in this book north korea ran in the coming world war and speaks to one piece actually is taken from the earth involving Iran, North Korea, of course, the United States, Saudi Arabia will get involved, Israel caught in the middle, a lot of other nations. I address Russia, China, Pakistan, and India, Taiwan, South Korea, obviously, Japan, NATO, Australia, all addressed in this book, Turkey, onto that second seal of the apocalypse. So with that little diversion, let's come back to this, which is what I wanted to show. This came out in the early 2000s, years after the first edition of the Antichrist and Tea was published. This was presented to Charles, commissioned by a Brazilian state government, the government of Tocantins, in central Brazil. It has his face. I was going to say it portrays- looks like Biden's face. <laughs> it's actually Charles when he was a bit younger. This was the early 1990s. <laughs> uh, excuse me, early 2000s, I mean to say. It's got his face, portraying him as an angelic winged god, literally. Not just a statue and, a, wow. and an angel, but as a winged god. And at the base of the statue, it has the inscription, Savior of the World. They were literally calling Charles the savior of the world in an environmental context. This is the miniature version photographed by the British Broadcasting Corporation, the BBC, which, which, uh, showed it in film footage and did an audio, well, did a filmed, uh, news story on it when it was presented to Charles and when this version was handed to Charles. This is roughly a foot and a half high. I forget its exact height. They created a full size version, however that's in a crate somewhere, that's arguably ten cubits in height. And that measurement has biblical significance, because the two angelic statues placed on either side of the Ark of the Covenant in Israel's ancient temple, like the Second Temple, were ten cubits in height each. The two cherubim statues. So there were two angelic statues in the Holy of Holies on either side of the Ark of the Covenant, which had two other cherubim portrayed on top of its lid. You know, on either side of the mercy seat, which was the center of the lid, where the Lord would appear to the high priest. You know, when he entered, for example, at certain times of year, uh, of the year in the Holy of Holies, at any rate, there's an idol, a desolating abomination that is to go where it's not supposed to be, in the holy place, right? According to the Olivet Discourses, Christ himself spoke to it, The prophet Daniel spoke to it. We'll see that in a moment. In a newly constructed holy place, which doesn't exist today, this statue, the full-size version of it to Charles, which hails him as a winged God and a savior of the world, that is what's going to go on the Temple Mount. It already exists. Do you have a a photo of that? No, nobody's seen the full-size version, but they reported on it in the same reporting where this was photographed to Charles. Wow. They spoke about it in the same article, said it had been commissioned and was being created by the same artist whose name is Mauricio Bentes. When he finished it, he was killed. He's dead. He oh, died. Really? Yeah, and now nobody's seen the full-size statue, but it's in a crate somewhere ready to be placed on the Temple Mount, ostensibly. Now, there are some very significant things to this, apart from the title, Savior of the World, and Charles' face here, right? Let me just point those out. So he's standing atop a mass of human bodies here, their heads, Looking up to him as Savior. One has a bottle of wine that it's drinking. You know, looking up to him like, oh, save us. Great one kind of thing, right? This is a complete inversion and perversion. So let me point out some very startling and frankly scary things about this. So uh, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we have the first gospel message in the Bible. It's called the Proto-Evangelium, the First Evangel or First Good News. It's a prophecy about warfare between mankind and the devil under the Lord. So the Lord is speaking to Eve. Or excuse me, speaking to the devil. Let me let me put it in context so I don't butcher what I'm trying to say.
4: Yeah.
5: So in context, God is speaking, Yod He hey the Lord. Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, is speaking. uh, And, you know, Eve has just said to the Lord that the serpent, the fiery red dragon, deceived her, right? Trying Uh to make some excuse for why she sinned. Adam has his own, you know, the woman gave to me of the fruit and I ate. You know, they're full of excuses now after they've sinned. So the Lord is addressing this and pronouncing judgment. But also, the first gospel message right here in this verse. So he's speaking to the devil uh, when you get to verse 15. And he says, And I will put enmity, which is conflict or warfare, between you and the woman, between the devil, and in this case Eve, and between your seed, the devil has his own seed, and her seed, meaning the Messiah. This is the first prophecy about a virgin birth. Women don't have their own seed. The man has the seed. sperm. Right. right. Women do not. But somehow this woman has seed of her own. And it's not a possibility with normal human biology. Right. It's intimating a strange birth, in other words, that doesn't involve a human man. So I'll put enmity between your seed and her seed. He shall crush your head or bruise it. And you shall crush his heel, or bruise it. The word here translated as bruise means to strike, to pierce, to bruise or to crush. It has all those meanings. The word translated as heel most literally means protuberance, something that sticks out from the body physically. Okay. So that can be the hands, the feet, the head. Christ was pierced in all those areas mm-hmm. besides his chest with a spear at the end. Right? Yes. So he was pierced in every area that stuck out from his body. And when he was born, he was circumcised because of humanity's sin, pierced even there, in a sense, beforehand, because of humanity's sin, which made circumcision necessary. Right. uh, And for other reasons. But these are also collective seeds. So there's conflict between the devil seed, meaning everyone who's not part of God's kingdom. And God's seed, everyone who's in Christ, we're baptized into his body by virtue of the Holy Spirit, right? Mm -hmm. We die with him, we're buried with him, we're resurrected in him. Spiritually, metaphysically, not just metaphorically. We're part of this collective seed. Now, what I want to catch here is that the seed of the devil is supposed to be crushed by the heel, or the protuberance, of the seed of the woman. In In this case, we're talking Uh, the Antichrist head is supposed to be crushed by Messiah, by Yeshua's feet. Right? Right. And then we in Messiah, meaning the church, the real church, are supposed to be about our daily business spiritually crushing the head of the devil's seed. Every wicked thing that rears its head against God and his rule. Right? His righteousness. We're supposed to be setting about living our lives crushing that in our own lives. You know, and in terms of society, doing righteousness. Right. In a general corporate sense. So, what's happened here Hold with up. the statue?
4: Right, yeah. and then to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your oh. sorrow. Oh. Sorry, yep, sorry. sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to read this to the to 18 maybe. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall roll over you. Is that So he's making it for the man to roll over the woman because she deceived
5: him? Because the woman is, was more vulnerable to deception from the enemy than the man was. So in other words, Eve was actually deceived by the devil. She actually thought if she ate, she would become like Elohim. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like God, only in a small sense, like gods become her own God, if you will. Mm-hmm. Elohim is a plural word used of God as Father, Word, and Holy Spirit, a single God. You know the Elohim, so not a plurality, but in the sense that He's Father Word and Holy Spirit, like you and I are body word. Or excuse me, body, soul, mm-hmm. and spirit. One person, not three, but but those three things can separate when we die, right? Right. Until we're right. resurrected, so we're those three things, but there's one us, not not three. And it's the same thing with God. It's a crude analogy, but you know I'm making it. Yeah, and yeah. let's
4: read what He said. Then unto Adam He said, "Because you have heeded the voice of your wife." and he have eaten from this tree, which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. And towards- See, Eve?
5: Yeah, but the point is, Eve was deceived. Mm-hmm. Adam wasn't deceived. He chose to disobey. Mm. because he wanted By listening to, be to his wife. <laughs> yeah. He said, well, I'm going to listen to her instead of God today. Yeah. Right? Blank. He knew better than to eat from the fruit, but he did it anyway. So and this is an interesting thing there are two components to this Adam has authority over Eve meaning men have authority spiritually over women for example even in in a marriage headship for this reason because women are more vulnerable than men are Mm -hmm. to spiritual deception but the curse on the world the curse on the ground was not because of Eve it was because of Adam Adam caused the fall she didn't Mm -hmm. She fell when she ate from the fruit, but the general fall of mankind was because Adam disobeyed, not because of Eve's deception and disobedience. What could have happened here if Adam hadn't sinned like he did? God could have killed Adam and raised Adam from the grave on Eve's behalf and saved mankind right then and there instead. But Christ became the last Adam. That's why he's called the last Adam in Scripture. Mm-hmm. But he redeemed us. He was subjected to all the deception, all the temptation to disobey, and didn't. You know, much more, obviously, than Adam and Eve were sub- subjected to. But, so that's that's the point there. But coming back to this verse, Genesis 3.15, one thing that a lot of Christians don't know is that Satan, Lucifer, was the messianic cherub. Not just one of the most powerful angels God ever made, meaning, and the most powerful angels were the seraphim and the cherubim in scripture that he ever made. Satan was the messianic cherub. Not only was he one of the most powerful angels, he had the greatest authority. He was the anointed cherub. And I think we find that in Isaiah 28. Let's see here. Uh, It could be Ezekiel. Get my passages mixed up here. Maybe it's... Let's see here. Let's just do anointed. You were the anointed. Let's just look up anointed. Find the passage for a moment here.
6: Okay,
5: yeah, Ezekiel 28. So, Lord speaks to Lucifer, right? Mm-hmm. And he says, you are the anointed cherub. That word anointed is the same thing as Mashiach, Messiah, in the Hebrew. That's the actual word here.
6: Wow.
5: So, the point is, and this comes us back to the statue now, this inverts Genesis 3.15. This is the devil, when he possesses Charles, wanting to be the one who's crushing the heads, rather than the Messiah himself doing so. Oh, wow. Wow. That's what this is. He's wanting to take the place of the Messiah, obviously. Again, in other words, he had it, he lost it by sin. God himself took on a human body, not as a created... Angel, but as the angel of the Lord, how he appeared to his creation. So hold on,
4: acting. let me get this straight. So he's trying to take the place of Jesus Christ, what he feels is rightfully his. hmm But
5: he can't. I mean, well, for one thing, Satan. You know, I mean, is doesn't a, he know, he he's know he's this? Created. I mean, like, isn't it like you know, he, he's, somebody, he's buddy? the you know, Lucifer, Satan is the ultimate nut job. So it's this
4: is out of ego. This is out of. I mean, right. but, so he
5: arrogance. He was anointed. He was anointed. Was he was the messianic cherub in heaven before he transgressed and fell? He was a created being always. The Lord Himself, who appeared, for example, to Abraham, you know, and had a meal with him, mm-hmm. you know, along with two angels that were with him at the time. You know, Abraham called this one who appeared and ate with him. He called him Yodhe Vathe. He called him Lord. He knew that this was God Himself manifesting to him in an angelic appearance, if you will, physically. So, a non-created angel.
4: So the Antichrist is just
5: going through
4: with what he believes is his, when it really is not. It's out of ego and out of arrogance. Well, he
5: knows it's he knows it's not his, but he wants to storm the earth and storm heaven later and take it back by force. He lost it. When he sinned, you know, when he wanted to set his own throne. The way he sinned was by deceiving Eve. No, he sinned before that. His original sin was he saw how beautiful God was, the Lord, and he, ended. And he wanted to replace God. He wanted to set his own throne above the stars of God. He wanted to usurp God. He wanted to be that person. But he was a created being. God was not. God was never created. He's always existed. And so God, who appeared formerly as the angel of the Lord, took on a human body as the Word of God incarnate. That's who Yeshua is. Lived a sinless life in a human body, which he completely possessed and owned from the beginning, and sacrificed that body at the cross, and then raised it from the grave on our behalf for our sins. So the point is, God took the role. Of the Messiah as the word of God incarnate subsequently after Lucifer's transgression. And now Lucifer wants it back. And here he's portraying himself having the victory. Wow. That's what this is. This has been like
4: a very, this has been a crash course on the Antichrist. Crash course 101
5: for me. Well, let me make it a little more shocking for you. Again, this thing has Charles head, right? Right. The Romans and the Greeks, the Greeks and the Romans, you know, portrayed uh, Zeus and Jupiter as the head of their pantheon of gods, right? Mm -hmm. The way that they portrayed, both of them, portrayed either Zeus or Jupiter, was often dressed only in a loincloth or completely naked. It was one of those two things. And either having outspread wings like this, angelic wings, or instead having a bird like an eagle next to it with wings, Next to the statue.
6: Mm-hmm.
5: It did both things, depending on how they were portraying it, you know, in different statues, but always with just a loincloth cloth or naked. This is portraying Charles in the future, not yet, in the future, as mm-hmm. Zeus or Jupiter. Mm-hmm. Now Mount Olympus, you know, where the pantheon of the gods and the mythology resides, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. In Scripture, in the Old Testament, is called Mount Zephon, T-S-A-P-H-O-N, or T-S-A-F-O-N. Twice in the Old Testament, at least twice, Mount Zion, instead of being called Zion, which we might spell T-S-I-O-N or Mm Z-I-O-N, is called Mount Zephon, twice, at least twice. That is very significant because Mount Zephon is another name for Olympus. Mount Zion, where Jerusalem is to sit, mm-hmm. is the real Mount Olympus. Oh, wow. Where Satan wants to put the idol, the desolating abomination, to himself. When we go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 now, and I talked about the restrainer earlier, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. This is the general revelation of the Antichrist. You've got people out there today, unfortunately, saying, we can't know who the Antichrist is until this general revelation happens, whether they're preacher or not. That's what a lot of them are saying. That is false, as we've seen in this interview. Charles is already biblically proven to be the Antichrist. No ifs, ands, or buts. To those Christians who believe God's word, and this is something I want to emphasize, if you don't believe God's word, you're going to walk away from this interview saying, well, maybe Charles is it. If you actually believe God's word, for real, the evidence that's been shown so far, before I even get to what I'm about to show, is more than enough proof to convince any actual Christian who's serious about believing God's written word that Charles is the Antichrist. Apart from what he did, you know, at his coronation, like calling the world to pledge allegiance to him. Mm-hmm. Right? For yeah. yeah. having a, a, a desecrated ceremony. So there's a restrainer on Charles' Heraldic achievement, that chain that we saw, right? Right. Pre-tribulationists will look at this passage from verse 1 through 8, uh, maybe even going through verse 9 in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And they'll say, well, we can't know who the Antichrist is because the Lord's coming back before he's revealed. We can't know. So Charles cannot be it. That's what they say. That's the rationale. Well, there are multiple lies in that statement, and they repeat them in a brainwashed rote sense because they haven't actually either believed Scripture or carefully read what it actually says in this passage. So let's look at what it actually says. And I, I'm just going to read it here and I'll make a few points as I go. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. That's the rapture, right?
6: Mm-hmm.
5: We ask you not to be sin shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter. A spirit could be a demon, right? Mm-hmm. Like a demonic influence or a fallen angelic influence, right? Mm-hmm. In other words, this is a lie that's going to be repeated. And Paul is saying, don't be troubled, don't be shaken in mind by that thing, when you hear it, whether it comes by a spirit or by a word, you know, somebody claiming to prophesy from the Lord, for example. Right. Right? Or a demon speaking through someone, or a fallen angel possessing someone and speaking through them, you know, or by letter, something that somebody's written to you. Right. You know, whether it comes by any of those means, don't be soon shaken in mind or troubled. As if from us. In other words, these people who are hearing these things, and they're hearing them today, right, are being told, well, this is what Paul said. For example, in Second Thessalonians 2. This is what the New Testament teaches. We can't know who the Antichrist is. We're going to be out of here before he shows up. And the restraint is loosed in this passage. That's what they're saying. Got you. Paul is right here, up front, saying, don't be soon shaken, in mind, or troubled by those kinds of lies, whether it comes by spirit, or by word, or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. What is the day of Christ? So they twist this, too. They call it the tribulation period. They'll say, the great tribulation is the great and terrible day of the Lord, or that kind of thing, right? Right. That's a falsehood. So it's called the Day of Christ, it's called the Day of Jesus Christ, and these are all statements in Scripture, by the way. You can find all these combinations I'm about to cite, literally stated in the New Testament. It's called the Day of Christ, the Day of Jesus, the Day of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Day of Jesus Christ, the Day of the Lord. It's called all of those things. Here is just the Day of Christ, you know, to simplify it a little bit. When we talk about Scripture, we know the Lord is going to rule for a thousand years, right? Right. Biblically that's the seventh 1000-year period of the week of history and we're nearing the year 6000 now from Adam and Eve when you add up the years in scripture. We know that a day with the with the Lord is as a thousand years to mankind as a thousand years to us like a day to the Lord, right? Right. So we can legitimately say biblical history is 7000 years long with the seventh 1000-year period or the seventh day of that week of history. Being Christ's thousand-year reign is a millennial kingdom, right? Right. The biblical Sabbath is the seventh day of the week, always. It's the seventh day. The Sabbath millennium of history, or the Sabbath day of history, is what? The day of the Lord. Right. Okay, so in other words, when Paul is here referring to the day of the Lord, and by the way, the Sabbath is more more detailed in Hebrews chapter 4 where Paul addresses the millennial kingdom, the Lord's reign, as the Sabbath millennium, the Sabbath day of the week of history. We find that more explicitly stated in Hebrews chapter 4, for those who want to look it up. So in other words, Paul here is talking about the millennial kingdom. He's not talking about the tribulation week or any part of it. He's not talking about the great tribulation. Pre-tribulationists are out there saying, well, this is the great tribulation, the day of Christ. That is a lie. And then it goes on to say, let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, what day? The day of Christ, the millennial kingdom, the Sabbath millennium, the day of the Lord. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. That's an apostasy, an apostasia. And the man of sin is revealed uh-huh. as the son of perdition. The Antichrist has to be revealed first. right. The exact opposite of what pre-tribulationism claims. Right. Moreover, here he's called the son of perdition. and some translations say son of destruction. You know, which is another way to translate it, but it's a unique word that most literally is perdition. It's only used twice in the New Testament of a person who's called the son of perdition. The first is Judas Iscariot, like I said earlier, who betrayed Christ. The second is the Antichrist who betrays Israel and the church through apostasy. A falling away. This is a guy who claims to be a Christian. He's apostate. There's a falling away first. And others follow him in that apostasy. And then it goes to say he's going to be revealed, right? Mm -hmm. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. And this is what I particularly want you to pay attention to in the context of that statue. Or that is worshipped so that he sits As God, in the temple of God, there's no temple right now, Uh, right? mm -hmm. Showing himself that he is God. So pay attention to this language here. Sits as God, in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Let's look at the statue for a minute and consider how exactly that works. So when the devil is possessing Charles, at the midpoint of the tribulation week, and Charles' name then becomes death. Guys, the Antichrist, when he's recovered from this mortal wound in a way that seems so miraculous that the world is starting to worship him and follow after him, and his personality has made certain changes. Because guess what? The devil's in him, right?
6: Yeah.
5: Okay, so when the devil's possessing him, and then this full-size version of this idol is placed on the Temple Mount in a newly constructed holy place, right? A temple. Mm -hmm. The devil will be looking out through Charles' eyes, the, the actual physical body of Charles, possessing him he'll be looking through Charles eyes at the full-size version of this idol on the Temple Mount showing himself that he's God wow while he's sitting there
4: so this will happen after whatever health issue or 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 uh, mortal well, whatever injury he suffers right that shows that he can overcome this right this will happen after that period
5: of that that moment in time right so it, it, Either right before it or right after it, but in conjunction with it. Okay. Right about the time that the Great Tribulation itself begins. So we can expect
4: some kind of accident, some kind of assassination attempt, maybe something to show, to to, to really be definitive.
5: Well, yes. And in fact, there have been multiple attempts. Even when the first edition of the book came out in 1998, mm-hmm. there have already been multiple assassination attempts on Charles' life. Yeah, but one and is
4: not- really going to stand out, I think.
5: I mean, I... I- I would imagine. Well, this, you know, when we come back to the passage here, the scripture in Revelation 13, meaning the passage itself that speaks to the wound, and let me go there. So he's
4: trying to work some kind of miraculous thing as when Jesus was crucified and risen from the dead.
5: He's trying to match Uh, it. Correct. So when we look up wound here, It says, and I saw one of the heads, this is where I said heads earlier, plural. Now the coat of arms has multiple heads on it, right? It's got one corporate head, so the overall thing represents Charles because the label of the eldest son is believed beneath its neck. The three arms plucked up by the roots are right there. But the overall heraldic achievement has multiple heads, and several of them explicitly represent Charles because the labels are on the neck. Right. Including including the red dragon, Satan himself on that heraldic achievement or coat of arms. So one of the heads, and we can say it doesn't probably matter which one it is, because the major ones all represent Charles, right?
6: Mm-hmm.
5: One of his heads, as if it had been mortally wounded. So in other words, the world will see this and expect that he should be a dead dead man, right? right? People don't live or recover from whatever this is when it happens. And that deadly wound, and it's a fatal wound biblically, is healed somehow. And the manner of it is that the world marvels. Marvels. Mm. Yeah. You know, and follows the beast as a result. In other words, it's such a weird, strange, bizarre, it kind of brings unexpected to him. thing. Right. And it's not a normal recovery from a wound. Let's put it that way. From a fatal wound. It's not a normal recovery. It's a recovery that, however it happens, so awes the world, the unbelieving world, that they start to follow after and worship. Charles is the Antichrist. So when we come back to this passage now, right, I've pointed out that this revelation spoken of in this chapter, however it occurs, needs to happen before the church is removed, raptured from the world, before our gathering together.
4: Right, he needs to be revealed. To him.
5: Correct. In the manner spoken of in this passage. This is a different manner than the one we've been talking about other than that wound. This, in other words, is not about the name calculation or the imagery there in Revelation 13, right? Right. I told you all the symbols on the arms are described, though, in Scripture, so there's another one that's described here in this passage. It's the restrainer. So when we continue with verse 5, it says, Paul is saying, don't you remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things. So he didn't just write it to them here, he told them verbally previously about these things. And he's telling them, don't forget. Right? Remember, I've told you these things, and now I've written them right here. Okay? For you, so that you never forget. He doesn't want the church to ever forget what's being stated here. And he says, and now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. The he being the Antichrist, presumably, right? Mm Mm-hmm. For the mystery of lawlessness, he's a very lawless person. Is already at work. Only he, who now restrains, will do so until he is taken out of the way, removed from the restraint. Right? Mm. You know, cast aside in a sense, since so there's not restraint. Now that chain, when it's loosed, at that unofficial version of the heraldic achievement, which, by the way, is also shown in the book, that achievement is also shown that version. In the Antichrist, the cup tea. It's in the original edition from 1998. It's in the new edition from um, this year.
6: Okay.
5: At any rate, the chain is actually like pushed aside almost. It's taken out of the way on that unofficial version, which might as well be official because it's the most prominent unofficial version right. there is of his achievement. But anyway, it's moved out of the way and it's loosed. So what I want to come back to is this word he. You noticed I emphasized the word he multiple times here. Christians, particularly pre look at this and they say, well, that has to be the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit who restrains evil in the world. Right? Right. Besides law and this kind of thing. And on that basis, they say, well, if the Holy Spirit's taken out of the way, the church must be gone from the earth because the Holy Spirit's living in us. Right? Right. And so they use that as a pretext to allege a pre-tribulational rapture. Again, because they're saying... The revelation here has to happen after, uh, you know, before, I should say, this revelation occurs. And for the restraint to be removed, the church has to be removed, has to be gone. That's their reasoning. All of it is a 100% false, biblically, and it's easy to show biblically, and it's false. We've talked a little bit about it, but let's argue for the moment that this is, in fact, the Holy Spirit. and Forget all about the chain on the coat of arms, right? Okay. Let's let's agree for a moment with pre-tribulationists that it's the Holy Spirit. Were those ICE, those those Christians who were beheaded, for example, by ISIS, kneeling on a beach, you know, while blindfolded? Right. Was the Holy Spirit in them?
4: Um, I'm gonna guess so. The ones that were in beheaded the Christians.
5: Yeah, they're Christians. He was in them. Was he in every other Christian who's been martyred historically? I would imagine so. Yes. How about you know? Was he present on Earth when Stalin murdered twenty million plus Russians? When Mao murdered many millions of Chinese? Yep. When Hitler murdered six million, really more than six million Israelites plus, you know, others, Gypsies. I would agree. So so. I would imagine so. So the Holy Spirit was present on Earth for all that grotesque evil. Why should he have to be removed to just not restrain the Antichrist, to let the Antichrist do his thing? Why should he be removed That's from a the great earth?
4: point. That's a great point. Yeah.
5: Yeah, you know, so again, it's a straw man argument that they're making that has no weight whatsoever, biblically. So you can't argue that removal of the restraint is somehow tantamount to removal of the church from the earth. That's a completely fallacious Argument and claim. So coming back to the he now that I emphasize. So we're going to agree for a moment that this could be the Holy Spirit. There's no problem with that notion because, yes, the Holy Spirit does restrain evil. But there are times also when he does not. And the evil happens directly in his presence. He allows it, right? Right. To accomplish God's purposes on earth. So now, here we go. This he can also be translated as It. In the Greek, it's not just a person, it's a thing. In the Greek text, you can legitimately translate the passage both ways. And so the restrainer in that context becomes a thing, and it. In other words, the chain, which is called a restrainer, in heraldry, on Charles Heraldic achievement, symbolizes that restraint. fascinating. Yep. So the restrainer is actually the chain, not just the Holy Spirit. The chain symbolizes, in this case, the activity of the Holy Spirit's restraint. So, with all that being shared, I told you I would show in the Greek the number 666 with the three yes. letters. Okay, so we can I And mean, Let's start closing in... out
4: here because we're cu- we're, I want to make sure I have enough space on my computer. I'm, I'm nervous that it's just yeah. going to cut out on me.
5: <laughs> Alright, this will be quick. So, We'll look for. Uh, I'm like revelation. crossing my
4: toes and fingers right now that this doesn't cut
5: off. Thirteen interlinear textus receptus, and we're down to the end here. All right, um, so here it's written in the form of Greek words. So, 666. So, this is a corrupt manuscript right here. Right. That is not the Texas Receptus, even though that's what I wanted. And so, here is the Texas Receptus, hopefully. Uh, nope. Interlinear Greek New Testament. Oh, okay. I know where I can find this. Um, blue letter. Bible. Okay. I uh, don't know if that's it looking for the blue letter bible
6: <sighs> interlinear
5: okay well let's let's just see if I can find it here
6: Let's go to what are we gonna be looking at right here?
5: I'm trying to find uh, Revelation thirteen. Yeah in a linear Bible. In the received or majority text, either one. So I guess I'll just have to thumb through some of these to find it. Now let's look at... This would be easy to find if I was using my Bible software, but I don't have it on this machine here. 13, verse 18. And there it is, right there.
4: Okay, oh, okay.
5: And if we go to... Well, if they will allow me to see the whole text, I guess I'd have to see the whole chapter. But anyway, that's the one verse from the received text. Okay. For the textus receptus, and you can see it actually in multiple texts, including the majority text right here. Okay. The majority text represents the the vast number of existing Greek texts. Of the New Testament, including the Book of Revelation, so in nearly all of the texts, in other words, it's actually this right here, not what we initially saw when I was trying to find this. Right. So those are the three Greek letters that specify the number six hundred and sixty-six in right. Revelation thirteen and right. eighteen, and of course you can see the English next to it, so you know that right. it is the verse we're talking about.
4: Right. And uh, can you highlight yeah. the old one, the Greek one again?
5: Um. Or if you already yes, okay. I can. I can. I can. Uh, I just want to look at it. Uh, I can probably move that. There we go. Um,
6: there
4: you go. Can you show it to me again? Yep. just the back here. I want to look at this. Right here. Okay, and so that's let the 66 right there.
5: It is, and I'll show you next to the calculation system also. If I go the right direction, that is. Okay, let me actually just uh, take this and we'll put them next to each other. So we can see the three Greek letters here. Yep. You got one for 600. Right. Uh, one for 60. Mm-hmm. Right here. Yep. And one for six right here. Boom. There it is.
4: Wow, Tim. Tim, I'm going to call it right here because I'm scared to death. I'm going to run out of, I really want to put this up tonight.
5: Yeah. Okay, let me just show the website quickly so people can see where they can grab stuff. Yep. So this is the site. Very simple site, but uh, that's what it looks like right now. Yeah, and you can go Prophecyhouse.com. Yes, prophecyhouse.com. People can go there. They can get – forget that cover. That's the cover of the first edition, but what they'd be getting is the second edition. That's all they can order here. So that cover will be updated soon. But this is the second edition. People who order it today, it'll probably ship to them toward the end of June or in July, that time we will start shipping somewhere around the end of this month, I think. Uh, but the end of this month or early next month, the shipping will begin, but there are already several thousand orders. So people who order it now, we'll probably get it a little bit later because it'll ship in the order in which the purchases are made. And then, um, uh, they can get North Korea ran in the coming world war, both as a print book or an ebook. Wow. They want to order it on Kindle. And, um, this is not going to be on Kindle, the Antichrist Company, the second edition, okay. not anytime soon. So there will only be a printed book right there on that for a good while. I have many other things coming. So my, old, my other multi-volume series and books, about three-quarters of them are mentioned here. Okay. And then the last thing I'll show, David, is the YouTube channel where people can see more stuff shown. Okay. So this is my YouTube channel, and I'll share your uh, interview with me also to this if it's if I'm able
4: Yes, absolutely. I'm going to send post you it. the file. You Didn't want me I, to send you the file?
5: If you would, please. Yeah, and I can share it to Rumble and BitChute and absolutely. Odyssey also. Um, but people can see things here, and I've got playlists with uh, interviews that I don't personally have to post uh, on this channel. And then just as an FYI for the audience, those who are interested in the whole alien phenomena, I give the real information here on the fake aliens, and I show what's really on Mars, the moon, and comets and asteroids. Oh, that's wonderful. I'd
4: like to do do a show show with you on that that as well.
5: Let's do that. But people, if you go watch this, you have to actually watch it, not just listen to it, because in it, you will see with your eyes actual creatures that have been photographed by NASA and other space agencies on Mars, the moon, and comets and asteroids, including by the Apollo astronauts on our moon. I give some actual examples things NASA has not shared publicly they haven't they haven't told the public about it. Wow, I'm exposing it, and I'm going to give the world in a solar apocalypse series. There's a series of books coming from me that will show examples many more than what they can see in this, but I show hundreds in this one presentation here, this one interview. and I have tens of thousands. I could have millions if I had the time to go through all the photos already taken uh easily hundreds of thousands. But I have tens of thousands, and I'll be sharing many in the actual series.
4: Let's do it's another show obvious. on that. If if you're uh, if you're if you want to, Tim, I would love to do something on that.
5: I would love to, but I can give the world the real information, so it's not speculation. Okay. And I'm going to give folks the ability to download these photos of creatures. You're looking at a creature right here that I'm encircling with my mouse. Okay. That's on Mars. That's that's as big as you and me, maybe bigger, on Mars, and fully exposed. NASA photographed it. They haven't told the public. Okay. So I'm going to give people the ability to download those directly from the space agencies themselves.
4: Wow. Okay. That's huge.
5: It is. So it's the real information, not like what anyone else has tried to put out. And uh, it's got a book on secret space programs and all kinds of other things in that series called Solar Apocalypse people see it on my website. And so with that, I know we're we're running up the end of your recording and uh, yeah. thanks so much for interviewing me, David.
4: Absolutely, Tim. This has been stellar. So um, I'd like to shoot back and forth with you on what you want to name this video. So uh, I'll call you right afterwards if that's okay. You bet. Okay. I'll end it right okay. now and uh, expect a phone call from me right now. Okay. Okay, Tim. Thank you.